Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please subscribe to the show and please tell your friends. It makes a huge difference indeed when you do. So we have on the show Afam Onyema. He is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Jinko Foundation. And Afam is remarkable for various reasons, but I'll simply say this. He has an incredible personal narrative and family narrative. He went to Harvard, he went to Stanford Law, and, and yet he decided to go straight into the world of philanthropy. And he is really keen on improving the world around us. Jinko Foundation does a lot of work in Africa, transforming lives. And we're going to hear a lot more about the foundation. We're going to hear a lot more about Afam's story. And also we're going to hear a little bit about some of the remarkable celebrities they work with who are really A-list, without question, who are really supportive as well in terms of supporting the foundation and amplifying the message. Without further ado, Afam, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Alberto. It's an honor to be with you. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Why don't we start by hearing a little bit about Jinko Foundation? What is it all about and how did it start? Sure. So... Jinko Foundation, Jinko really began with my father and, and his dream. My father is, is a Nigerian, uh, born and raised in Nigeria, and he went to a boarding school that was run by the British. And it was at that school that he connected with a British missionary doctor, one of the few female British missionary doctors in, in Nigeria at the time. This is in the, the 50s. And she saw something in him and really took him under her wing and he helped her with some of the medical work that she was doing to help his school and the local community. And he got to see the very basics of frontier medicine and really fell in love with the idea of not only being a doctor, but being a self-sacrificial doctor. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a this is a, a doctor who came over with her husband, who was the English teacher at his school and had very comfortable lives in the UK, but came over to Nigeria again in the 40s, 50s, 60s to help serve. And yeah. so my dad made a promise to that doctor and to his own father, my grandfather, that no matter where he goes and what he does with his life and career, he will come back and serve his community, his country in some way to help save lives. And so that was the story that we heard growing up. My father met my mother, who was an emergency room nurse in Nigeria. They got married and they came over to the U.S., to Chicago in particular, and their plan was to stay no more than four or five, six years to raise some money to get their plan of going back to Nigeria together and then eventually go back to Nigeria to see my father's dream made real. Mm. But I am the second of four children and they realized as we came along that we had amazing opportunities here in the US and that Nigeria at the time was going through a lot of violence and instability, unfortunately a uh, situation that's not much different than today. And they realized, gosh, to take these kids from these opportunities here in the US would be really unfair. And so we ended up staying in the US, staying in Chicago. But my dad always told us about this doctor, always told us about this dream. And uh, really, for me, it resonated uh, as I started to get older. Yeah. When I was younger, I didn't really connect with the idea of Nigeria. I was, you know, we, we went back, but fairly infrequently. 
when I got into college at Harvard, I met and was surrounded by so many people where the importance of being financially successful or politically powerful or culturally relevant were dominant. And mm. I, I totally understand that. I have friends who are very successful in all those areas, and uh, I, I, I praise them for that. But for me, I thought more about, well, how can I serve? How can I use this platform, use these resources, this network to to serve? And this was when the, in particular, when the HIV AIDS crisis was raging in Africa. Mm. And so I just started talking to my dad more about that dream of his and started to just have it in my mind, start to kind of pass him resources, say, hey, when you do your project, consider looking up this organization or this foundation, this individual. But I had my own career path, my own plans and dreams. Um, so I ended up you know, working and then going to Stanford for law school. And by then I was also getting more involved with helping my dad put flesh on this, this mm -hmm. dream. And we did our first medical mission. I didn't go because I was still in school, but I helped plan it and fundraise for it. And the team did hip and knee replacements. And I, I, I heard about the mission when they came back and just the idea of, you know, 32 people receiving a new lease on life through this mission. And and the idea that I played some small role in that and uh, just really kind of got me excited about the work. And, and so I really got involved with putting Jinko together and making an official 501c3 organization. Mm -hmm. And... But at the same time, I had these great corporate law offers uh, and I had to, to weigh those. And for me, it was I got up in the morning both deeply inspired and incredibly terrified about the Jinko work. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's a pretty good place to be for a, a profession and a vocation and a life. So uh, in the end, I said, you know what? I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to turn down these these law firm offers and just work on building Jinko full time directly out of law school instead of waiting. And, and that's what we did. Remarkable. I'm sure some people listening to this right now are thinking that's absolute madness going from <laughs> going from Stanford Law straight into into starting a a 501c3, which, by the way, is a public charity uh, in the U.S. for those who, who, who are not familiar with it. Uh, and my mom, is, my mom was the first person who thought that was madness. I'm sure she, she, I'm she, sure she, was, she, she raised uh, yeah. an eyebrow. Yes, yeah, she raised more than an eyebrow. She raised, she raised a voice. She raised, <laughs> she, she raised multiple concerns uh, about me being able to feed myself and take care of myself. And um, but uh, in the end. Uh, she appreciated the service that I was giving to to her homeland. But as a mother, her her first concern was, you're going from a job where you're going to be very comfortable financially to a job where you're going to be begging for money constantly and dealing with the craziness uh, that is Nigeria. And mm. uh, so it's it was um, certainly something that um, I was aware of and, and the, the difference between the, the two choices. But in the end, you have to you have to do what you, you think is best to to serve and to what resonates best with what you get up in the morning uh, desiring to do and what's in your heart. Absolutely. And and when was that? How long ago was that? This was 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been working on Jinko full time since 2007. And putting aside the uh, the project delivery, you know, the programmatic side in the front lines, 
uh, one of the things you, you touched on a second ago is, you know, the inc- you know how are we going to feed ourselves? How are we going to survive? And a foundation needs to uh, generate income, needs to to rely on the generosity of philanthropists and uh, and the general public. Especially if you're a five hundred one c three, you need a fairly diverse income stream. Um, how challenging was that? Because he came straight out of Stanford Law. He didn't necessarily have an, a, a background in uh, in fundraising. Yeah, no, it was certainly incredibly challenging. It was one of the most challenging periods of my life, but I was really fortunate and really blessed that I had the people in my life rally around me. And in particular, my I, my classmates at Stanford Law, my professors and alums of both Harvard and, and Stanford. So when I when I decided to make the the switch from working you know for a law firm right after school to doing the foundation. My classmates held a fundraiser for uh-huh. me uh, in, in Palo Alto at Stanford, and it was just that I still to this day can can picture, you know, forty, fifty of my classmates uh, there, you know, supporting me, and 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 just not only financially but more just kind of morally, and we believe in this, and we believe in you for doing this. And one of my professors who had done really well uh, during the tech boom, which had proceeded. Uh, when yeah. I was in law school, ended up funding the first year of my work, just said, okay, here's enough money to get you going, to allow you enough runway so you can build support for your programs and the work you're doing in Nigeria. I want to give you this money so that you're you're not worrying about you know, paying your rent and, yeah. and eating day to day. So that was amazing. And then one of my classmates, I remember when I told my friends and my classmates about this decision, he came came up to me and asked a lot of very uh, particular questions, very mm-hmm. kind of specific questions. And I, I answered all of them. And I remember at the end, he said, oh, well, you know, let me know if you need any help with anything or do you need anything? And I remember joking around and saying, hey, do you know any any millionaires? Because that would yeah. be really helpful right now. <laughs> and he, he kind of, you know, he didn't he didn't really laugh. He actually looked at me and said, I may I may know I may know someone who can can help. And I kind of rolled my eyes and go, OK, let's let's see. And that turns out that his his mom and stepdad are billionaires with the B. Right. So, right. Uh, and, and they had, and they had been, they told him, Hey, we want to get more into supporting Africa. If you, if you hear of anything, uh, come across anything, please let us know. And, uh, and they've been our most generous supporters from, from day one. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do any of this work without, without them, without that professor. Wow. Um, and then something that when I talk to people who, are trying to build a an NGO or any social enterprise, I always say do not neglect the power and potential of your alumni networks. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to thousands of people in the Harvard and Stanford communities, um, emailed, sent handwritten letters, and those people who responded really built the base of support that we that we have today. So I was I was not shy about letting people know about what I was doing, even though, as you mentioned, going to law school and having no experience with fundraising or anything uh, remotely connected to building a, a charity, besides the legal aspects of it, it was a lot of just learning, a lot of trial and error, a lot of uh, rejection, but just persistence and believing yeah. in this mission and believing in my father's dream and eventually it becoming my dream and and I just going full steam from there and and looking at trying to find those people who who can believe in you early, even when you don't have a lot to show 
on the ground in terms of actual work and programs. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right, right? I mean, having the right attitude really helps. And even if you don't have the technical expertise on fundraising, if you have the right attitude and you leverage your networks as best as you can, that sort of um, positive energy is, in, you know, it, it, it's something that uh, somehow spills on to others. And they, uh, there's people want to help out. Absolutely. And, 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 and you know this, Alberto, and anyone kind of probably listening to this might know this, but people give to people. Mm. Uh, often when I talk about our work, people, someone will pause and go, do I know anyone from Nigeria? Do I know any organizations or charities I give to Nigeria? And I always say, that's great. Yes, I'll definitely take that, those leads or those introductions. But just know that you know, 90% of our, our money and resources come from people who aren't Nigerian. Have never been to Nigeria, will never go to Nigeria, but they believe in this goal and they believe that they can, the good they want to do in this world, this is one vehicle yeah. for making it good come about. And they believe in our story and they love the fact that this is a family story. I wasn't hired by Jinko. I, I was, I'm not, you know, I wasn't a headhunter, didn't call me and recruit me from some other NGO and I'm not fielding calls from headhunters from other yeah. NGOs right now. It's this is uh, this is something that I've lived with that I'm I'm dedicated to for the rest of my life, and I think donors like that stability, like the fact that that I can give to this year after year and know that you're personally I'm personally invested. So mm. uh, that's a very important, powerful thing to to bring to a to an ask when you sit down with someone asking for support. And something that I think is not that common is in your case, it's not like you, you, you guys started a foundation because there's a lot of money and let's, let's put that, those assets to work uh, more than money. There was, there was passion and, and, uh, and intellect as well to sort of think about what you wanted to do and try to try to address it and, and go from there. Um, which is not the traditional foundation story. Yes, yes, our story certainly is unique in, in that we, you know, I tell people we led with a dream and kind of figured everything else out with good uh, after that, which I think is really important because the for anything, what's what's your what's your why? Why are you doing this? And if I, I can sit down and someone says, Why are you doing this? and I can point to a bunch of stats. I mean, Nigeria mm -hmm. has the second worst maternal mortality in the world. It has you know, malaria deaths are some of the highest in the world. It has the worst anemia problem in the world and all these different things. And education has the most children out of school in the world. And so I can drown someone with stats, but in the end, they want to know, what, no, why are you doing this? Why, yeah. why, why should I give to this? Because there are a million different avenues to attack those different causes. And so it's the mix of a very solid dream, a dream that's real, a family that's real, uh, goals that are real, but also uh, here's the structure around it. And here's the, you know, we're very proud of the organization we've built and put together the trust and the transparency, mm -hmm. especially working in a place like Nigeria. Um, uh, you know, people can look and in, dig into our work and see, okay, wow, you guys actually have now a track record of success that if I give you money to do a medical mission, the medical mission will get done. Or if I give you money for this project, this project will get done and I will, I'll see the the budgets and I'll see the results and um, I take that very seriously. I think when you start a, a any organization, but certainly 
a charity and your first donors are your best friends. Yeah. Your first donors are your families. Your first donors are your professors. Your first donors are people who believed in you when you had not only no programming on the ground, but no money in your bank account. That your 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 mindset and your tenacity and your desire to be transparent and to do everything the right way, they're magnified yeah. because this is not money coming from some nameless, faceless, multilateral organization in, in, in some country I've never been to. This is money that I'm getting from someone that I, you know, I've known for 20 years or someone who I know that they're not a millionaire or a billionaire, but this is the one thing they give to because mm -hmm. this is the way they want to show up in the world in a positive way. So uh, I take that very seriously every day and uh, I run Jinko with that in mind always. Yeah, you don't want to drop the ball when, when it's all your Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and what about your programs? What, so tell us, uh, you shed a little bit of light on the, on, the, um, on the dynamics on the ground in Nigeria. What do your pro what do your programs look like? What are you focusing on right now? Sure. Sure. So on the medical side, the healthcare side, we do medical missions, surgical missions. So since 2005, we've done hip and knee replacements. Brought, mm -hmm. brought teams over to do free hip and knee replacements. A few years ago, we started a minimally invasive laparoscopic surgical mission program. One of my dear friends from from college is a, a surgeon in that area and we do he does appendix removals gallbladder surgeries hernia repairs and very much for both the orthopedic missions and the minimally invasive surgical missions there's a strong training component so mm -hmm. we bring in local doctors and they scrub in they do as much of the work as possible we help local doctors train there's one doctor who was a resident for our very first mission in 2005 and we took him under our wing and got him training in Germany, helped him get training in Charlotte, North Carolina. And now he has his own clinic and he scrubs in on all of our missions still, but is a very senior surgeon and doing uh, hip, hip and knee replacements. And we do the same thing with the minimally invasive surgeries. So that's uh, a longstanding right. program of ours. And then we also have a maternal mortality program. We partnered with this company, Massimo, which is a medical device company through the Clinton Global Initiative several years ago. And Massimo has this very innovative, uh, non-invasive non uh, scanner for hemoglobin mm -hmm. and pulse ox and pulse rate. And so uh, you, can, you can quickly tell whether someone might be anemic just through 10 seconds of them um, using the scanner. And so we are their only partner in Nigeria and we screen hundreds of women every month for anemia. And then we take the, the severely anemic pregnant women in their third trimesters and we cover the cost of their maternal health care. So we say, hey, I mix a lot of them. Don't go to doctors because they can't afford it. They can't afford the cost of the, the session. They can't afford the prenatal vitamins yeah. and drugs. And so we say we eliminate that barrier. We say, OK, uh, you're in a very vulnerable position you and and your and your unborn child and so we will cover the cost of those things go to the clinic and our staff is right there with you helping you through your 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 appointment and then we cover the cost for hundreds of women every month we cover the cost of their prenatal care through birth 
And then we have a safe delivery program where we donate these, they call them mama kits, but they're mm-hmm. safe delivery kits that have the, the, the clean scalpel and the baby blankets and the drugs and the suture and everything you need for a, a delivery. And we donate thousands of those to rural clinics throughout Southeast Nigeria so that when there's a delivery, you have the basic supplies that, that you need, whether for a midwife or a nurse or a doctor delivering that baby. So my dad being an obstetrician gynecologist, an OBGYN, that's mother and child care is just central to us as a family and organization. So we're really proud of, of that program. Wow. And then, yeah, thank you. And then on the educational side, we have the, we partnered with this actor, David Ayelowo, mm. to launch the David Ayelowo Leadership Scholarship for Girls. And the scholarship provides full tuition, room and board, health care, social support uh, for girls who have been directly affected by terrorism, Boko Haram terrorism, right. or gender inequality. So we girls who have either been kidnapped and then rescued or escaped from terrorism, girls who have been orphaned by terrorists, uh, girls who have been abandoned by their families because they realize that these girls are not only uh, they're a danger and a, and a burden and tragically so many girls are just left on the side of the road or left in displacement camps. And so we go and, and, and recruit these girls and get these girls into our program. We started with three girls at one school in Abuja, the capital of Nigeria. And as we're speaking now in September of 2020, we have 35 girls at four schools throughout the country, north, south, east, west, and central uh, Nigeria. So uh, we're really, really proud of, of this program, and we're proud of these girls, the, the, the growth that they make academically, emotionally, spiritually, from when they are about to enter our scholarship program, even just a year or two in. It's just it's miraculous to me. Uh, and and uh, really, really excited about the work that we're doing with these girls. Uh, we think it's a beautiful rebuke to the idea that girls shouldn't learn, that we're going to burn down villages and kidnap girls just because we don't want girls learning. We don't want girls to be enlightened. We don't want girls to take their proper place in society. What a beautiful rebuke to say we're taking those girls and putting them right back in the school and giving them even more resources giving them even more attention, even more protection, so that they will become the leaders that we all need them to be, not only in Nigerian society, but for a global society, for the global village, the global community. So it's one of the, the great joys of my life to see these girls uh, turn from their circumstances, which were just tragic and dire, and to see their resilience and see how they attack their learning and always asking for more and always asking to learn more, to grow more, and uh, and to see how how we're all going to benefit by having these dynamic girls become become leaders one day. Mm-hmm. And what we're really proud of is that uh, some of our schools are you know, we have one we have one school that's all girls, but the rest of the schools are co-ed. And so to support the boys at those schools, we help with structural support. Mm-hmm. So we've adopted these schools and give them laptop computers and internet, sports facilities, um, you know soccer fields or football fields and basketball courts and also tablets, um, especially during the COVID lockdown when students couldn't go to 
to school. I mean, yeah. as, as was true for almost every country in the world. And in Nigeria, they had no access to smartphones and to laptops and to televisions or even to physical books to read just to keep their minds active and engaged. And so one of the things that I'm most proud of is getting hundreds of tablets into the hands of students, both girls and boys who were quarantined during the lockdown. And these tablets had educational software as well as uh, hundreds of West African books. We partnered mm -hmm. with we partnered with an organization called World Reader um, that provides these Kindle-like books where, uh, and they were West African. So um, people weren't, these, these kids in Africa and Nigeria weren't reading Little House on the Prairie. They were, they were reading, you know, Chica and the Frog, or they were reading about, you know, people who looked like them, who had stories like them. And they were storybooks, they were science books, they were books about, about uh, literature and so it just kept their minds and has kept their minds engaged and and so uh, and then, and then the schools have been able to build online remote learning programs with these tablets and the yeah. internet access they provide so I'm really especially proud of that Remarkable. that we were, we were with these with these kids during this really challenging time yeah and how did the relationship with David come around so you know he's a he's certainly a a force within the uh, within the acting world. Uh, how did uh, how did he engage with this uh, with this scholarship? Yes. Yeah, so uh, just to give a, big, a bit of background on on uh, kind of me and landing here in Los Angeles, I, as I mentioned, went to law school in the Bay Area in California and wanted to stay in California and thought, okay, well, I can set up Chinko pretty much anywhere. I could stay in the Bay Area, but um, I'd worked during my two summers off in law school, worked for law firms in Los Angeles and really started to enjoy the area and thought, well, if I get to Southern California and build Jinko here, the people that I could connect with here in terms of uh, entertainment industry could potentially really help us to expand our message, to help us raise more awareness and hopefully more support for the work that we do. And so I you know, moved down to Southern California and established Jinko here and through mutual friends, got connected with David Yellowo, who, if your listeners don't know, was is the actor who played Martin Luther King in Selma and was in Queen of Cotway and also Lincoln and amazing movies. And I met with him and told him about Jinko and our work. And he was the one that was telling me how affected and moved he was by the Bring Back Our Girls campaign about mm -hmm. Boko Haram stealing girls and had the idea of, you know, we can't fight Boko Haram directly, but what if we started to help these girls by putting them back in the school, by showing them how much we value education. And I remember thinking, well, I've always wanted to get Jinko involved in education. I didn't want to build a school. I didn't want to do anything that um, that complicated, but I love the idea of getting involved in education, but I knew I, I couldn't just, just build a, a scholarship from scratch. We really needed a champion. And I, I, I told David in his very first meeting that we had at his home, I love to do this, but I, I would need you as a true partner, yeah. not a celebrity to show up on a red carpet once a year, not someone to do an interview or to mention Jinko just in your social media post, but a true, true partner. And David, who is just a very passionate man, a thoughtful man, a committed man, said, yes, I wouldn't suggest this if I didn't want it to be part of my life, something that's very, very critical to, 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 my, to my life, to my work. And, and to his everlasting credit, he has been 
a fantastic partner and a true partner and has been uh, a force in getting this scholarship up and running and and for us growing from three girls to 35 girls in just a few years. That is some story. That is some story. It doesn't hurt that you are in Southern California. Yes, yes. It's certainly, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, people think, oh, like you can come to California and stars just kind of fall from the trees <laughs> and you can just get them. And, and, I, and, and that's the case for others, maybe, but not certainly not for, for me. It's, as I mentioned, I've been in, uh, I've been, well, I've, I've been in work, working, leading Jinko for 13 years here in LA. And a lot of it's just been building these relationships and trust over time. And just, you know, year after year, getting people to trust me, getting people to trust Jinko, to believe in us. And then they get involved and they extend and the circle extends. And so um, and then get those core group of people who believe in us. And, you know, thanks to David, who's been amazing with his introductions and relationships. And I got to meet another uh, British Nigerian actor, Chiwetel Ejiofor, mm. who was Oscar nominated for 12 years a slave and is in Doctor Strange and is, you know, these these guys are, you know, two of the great actors of our time, uh, but also have spent time in Nigeria uh, and, and formative their, their formative years in Nigeria and have family there. And they've been great partners and they've brought on board through their introductions and their networks and their friends. So many people. I mean, Oprah seeded the, the scholarship. She was wow. she was the first person to donate to it. We've had Jimmy Kimmel, Benedict Cumberbatch, Charlize Theron, Daisy Ridley, Brian Cranston. We're one of the few charitable partners of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So we have donors who get to go to the Oscar rehearsal the night before the show and get to see it before, see the, you know, the stars run their lines and the show get prepared and run the night before. So uh, we get to do set visits with big Marvel movies and the Disney movies. And so those are all just great ways to raise awareness of our work, to raise funding. People who can't give five, six figure donations can try to win a chance to go to a Marvel movie premiere. And those have been really successful. So, uh, you know, and, and the names are are all fancy and, and glittering, but the yeah. people are just there's really, really good people. They're good hearted people. And I think because I treat them as such, I don't yeah. look to them as what can I extract from them, but I look them as partners. I think that resonates with them and uh, realizing that I'm the least starstruck person you're going to meet. <laughs> um, if, 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 a, if a star wants to commit, I'm going to hold them to that commitment. And I think they actually like that, like the fact that um, that I'm serious about this, that I, I care so passionately about these girls, about these women, about these surgical patients and that I, I, I challenge them to care as much, too. And I think they that resonates with them the same yeah. way that a, direct, a director challenges them on that 10th take to bring that same energy on set. I think they, they resonate with this. So we're just so blessed by the support that we receive from this community. And it really, you know, it challenges the notion that Hollywood's some vapid, self-centered, callous place. Uh, I've, I've met so many kind, generous people here as well as the donors we have throughout the yeah. throughout the country, throughout the world, actually. No, it's really great you have these authentic partnerships because that's um, it's not always the case, and it's good it's good to hear when, when when it is. Tell me if somebody's listening to this and they want to get involved, what's the best way? Can they can they reach out to you personally? Is there a website you recommend they visit? Absolutely, they can visit us at jinko.org, uh, and that's G E A N C O dot O R G. 
and my contact information is on there. Um, they can always email me um, at A-O-N-Y-E-M-A at jinko.org. Uh, but again, my, my email's on the website and always love hearing from, from people, potential supporters and people who are interested in our work. And uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Really great, really great. And so you've been with, uh, you've been doing this for a little bit over a decade now. Uh, what's the next decade uh, have in store? What, what would you like to see happen? For me, the word is more. I just want to do more of what we're doing. I certainly, and, and David Yellowo believes this as well. We want to go from 35 girls to 100 girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, to And, and that, that, that number might sound small to someone who's like, oh, well, you're just giving scholarships. But for us, it's because it's a leadership scholarship. Right. Uh, we, we, we dig so deeply into these girls' lives. And because many of these girls are either orphaned or have other issues that we become, you know, we take the place of parents. So we're the ones going to parent-teacher conferences and visiting them during the holidays and just being with them in a real sense. So uh, it's a very intensive scholarship. So to grow it to a thousand girls, if we're just writing a check to the schools, that would be very easy. But the fact that we are so involved is makes it more intense. So we do want to grow it to to 100 or more girls. Uh, we want to do more surgical missions. Right now we're we're doing a mission every year. If we get the resources and the structure in place to potentially do two missions a year, that would be wonderful, uh, certainly in, in 10 years. And then reach more women through our maternal health programs to get more women screened for anemia, get more pregnant women treated for anemia. So they don't lose their lives or their babies' lives to that blood condition. Uh, and then more safe deliveries for, for women. And, uh, and then expanding the, the laptop a tablet donation program that we have. We started it in COVID to get these these world reader tablets, these world reader uh, books into mm. into girls' hands uh, and, and boys' hands. This is a co-ed program, but we'd love to expand it from the hundreds that we're doing now to a thousand, uh, to two thousand, to five thousand. There's no reason why ten thousand of uh, of Nigeria's uh, students shouldn't have these these tablets where they can access books where they can access educational software. So really growing that program is is very important to us as well. And then doing what we can to continue to support those fighting COVID. Uh, one thing that we're really proud of is that through the, the, the period of the lockdown from, from March through the end of this year, 2020, we've been donating PPE to mm-hmm. community health workers and traditional birth attendants. So um, as we're speaking, over 50,000 Gloves and masks and hand sanitizer, disinfectant have been donated to rural clinics and hospitals in Nigeria through through our work. So uh, even making that a ongoing program, because obviously COVID is going to be with us in some form or fashion for a while now. And even beyond that, these hospitals and clinics were struggling with the basics of gloves and masks. And so continuing to be a support in that way as well. So it's just continuing to do what we do, but more of it. And hopefully we can attract the resources and supporters necessary to to expand and make an even bigger impact in Nigeria. Well, I hope when we're having a coffee in 2030, whether it's in Southern California or London, that these things are, uh, we look back on them and, and they were maybe even modest visions compared to what the reality <laughs> transformed into. And uh, what about a key takeaway for our listeners? What's the, what's the one thing you'd love for them to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Sure. I really, I just give them my, my life mantra, and that is to be kind and to serve. 
Uh, I just I just think this world is is and, and it's not a political thing to say, but this world is becoming just angrier and becoming sharper and more divisive. And uh, my response to that is just find ways to be kind. Just find ways in your daily life to be to be kind. How can you be kind? How can you serve? Uh, I always try to ask myself in any situation, how can I serve in this situation? And it can be, how do I serve in this conversation that I'm having with you? How do I serve the the girls and the patients and those suffering in Nigeria? How can I serve my family? How can I serve the person who cut me off on the freeway? Uh, and just try to lean into that and, and take that as a first thought. And I just try and ways to be kind. Uh, it That's doesn't great. cost anything. It doesn't. There's no. There's no weakness. And being kind and serving. And so I just try every single moment of my life. I don't always succeed. I don't often succeed. But I do always try to lead with kindness and to find some way to be of service every day of my life. Excellent. Be kind and find a way to serve. Very simple, but very profound as well. Afam, really uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the Do One Better podcast. And to our listeners, uh, thank you as always for listening, for tuning in, and for sharing the show with your friends and colleagues. It's really, uh, it means a great deal. You've been listening to Afam Onyema, the co-founder and CEO of Geneco Foundation. Afam, really great. Take good care, and here's to your continued success. Thank you so very much, Alberto. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. Mm -hmm.